Well, those didn't bring any any visual, but Genesis is on a, so it's a very engaging book, and it's got a lot of characters in it, so it's it's easy to to sort of um, have a, an outline in your in your mind, which is what I what I want to give you. Um, just some preliminary things. So the first five books, so the ones up there in in red, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. <laughs> In that verse that we read at the start, they were the writings of, can someone tell me? Moses. Moses. They were the writings of Moses. But Exodus is really interesting from all of those five for a simple reason. Where was Moses during the Exodus? He was right there, wasn't he? He was part of it. Where was Moses in Leviticus? He was the one conveying the commandments of God. In the book of Numbers, he was with the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy, it's his words to them. But what about Genesis? Moses wasn't there for creation. He wasn't there for the life of Abraham, Noah. He wasn't there for the life of of the descendants of the patriarchs. Moses was not there for all of the book of Genesis, but he writes them. And something interesting to, to think about. I don't know when God revealed that to him, whether these were writings that were passed on from generation to generation and he collated them under the Holy Spirit's guidance or whether God revealed it to him perhaps when he was up in the mountain. We don't know. But Moses was the one who wrote them. And Genesis is one of the it's one of the easiest books to read. If you it's almost like a novel. Because it's they're just stories. There's story after story after story and they're um, just narrations of people's lives. Genesis is full of characters. You find that again in the historical books later with Samuel and Kings and perhaps not so much Chronicles. But Genesis is full of just a few character stories. So there's lots of different ways to look at Genesis and to divide it up into different ways. I'm going to present to you a way that I found really, really appealing. But I'll tell you a few other ways first. One way is to look at the generations in Genesis. So ten times in Genesis it says the generations. There's the generations of the heavens and the earth. Um, there's the, the generations of Adam. There's the, the ten times throughout a various person and their generations is listed. So that's one way, you can, one way you can divide it. Another way you can divide it is from the flood of Noah. So there's the old world before Noah and there's the new world. So you can see that there on, on the chart that that's exactly at that 3,000 years before Christ mark. So there's the, the world before Noah and there's the world after Noah. But the way I want to I just quickly go through Genesis is by dividing it into pairs of characters. Okay, um, I've found that there's a, a few pairs all the way through and they're really good ways to just jog your memory and to put things in, in, in a bit of a pattern and an order through, through Genesis. So when you, when you read any book of the Bible, there are lots of different ways you can study it. You can learn the history. Sure, God made the heavens and the earth. This is what happened with Abraham. This is what happened with Joseph. There are moral lessons. We can learn from, whoa, Joseph avoided this particular sin. Maybe that's something I should do. Whoa, Lot really failed there when he went to Sodom. Maybe that's something I should be careful of. But we can also learn... A outline of, of, of spiritual facts from each of these characters. What do they represent? 
How is Joseph a type of Christ? How is each of these characters representative of something in, in, in the scriptures? So I'm going to run through the characters just very briefly. I don't want to take up too much time and just show you what each of them represent so you can have a hinge in your mind of how to sort all these things out through Genesis. All right. So the first four chapters are two characters, God and Satan. Okay. You might think the first two chapters are about creation and they are. But they're actually about God. In the beginning, God. They are God's expression of himself. God was the one who made the heavens and the earth. God was the one who showed the way he works, the way he orders things, the way he creates. God was the one who said, I want a man on this earth. I want a man to show my heart in the image and likeness of God. God was the one who was showing himself forth. Chapters 3 and 4, Satan, the serpent, comes out. And he's the next character. He's the antagonist of God. He's the one who wants to destroy everything God makes. But God always gets the victory over Satan. Satan brings in sin and death by tricking Eve and Adam. And God brings in a coat to clothe them. God brings in a promise of a seed to come. So the first four chapters. And then you get Cain and Abel. And they go together too. And I want you to think of them as Cain is the child of Satan, and Abel is the child of God. So they go well with God and Satan. There's Cain and Abel. There's the two of them. The Bible tells us that Cain was of his father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He, was, he hated his brother and he murdered him. Abel, he believed in God and he brought the offering. They are representative of those things. So that's the first four chapters, all right? Then you get this statement in chapter 5 that says, this is the book of Adam's generations. Now, does anyone know another time in the scripture where it says, there's only one other time where it says, this is the book of someone's generations. I believe there's only, well maybe there are multiple more. Mike. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And if you ever want a hint that, there are many, many, many hints throughout scripture that God's fingerprints are all over this thing. But after these, this account of creation, you immediately get, it's like an intro to the whole Old Testament. This is the book of Adam's generations. Genesis to Malachi is the story of man. It is the story of man in all of his different ways and all of his failures right to the end where man is just absolutely lost in these silent, silent years. Matthew is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son, um, son of David. So Matthew, the New Testament, is the story of another man. It's the story of, of a new man. But Genesis begins the story of, of the old man. Now, a few more characters. So when, when we go on to chapter 5, um, we have... So we mentioned Adam, he's the, he's the head of the race. We have now... Two other characters that go together, Enoch and Noah. Okay, I want to show you how, how those two go together. What happened to Enoch? Firstly, it says about Enoch that he, he walked with God. And it says about Noah that he, he walked with God. It says it about both of them. But Enoch was translated up and Noah was saved here on the earth from, from judgment. So the two go together. There's... The church, Enoch, it, the church walks with God. We believe in the Lord Jesus. We walk with God here on earth. And then we're taken up. Noah is Israel. 
He walks with God here on the earth. He declares in the last days the word of God and then judgment comes and he lives through it here on the earth, but he's saved. He doesn't get taken up. Enoch and Noah, the church and Israel. After them, you have the flood of judgment comes and wipes out the whole, whole earth. And as we said, there's a new earth after that. Then we have the contrast of two characters. Um, well, f firstly, we have, we have the story of Babel. So we all, we all know that story. Man wanted to come together and form a center for himself. And man wanted to... Basically, everything that we see the world heading towards again today. One world, one love, one thought, one idea, one unity. All of man gathered together, together. It's all about unity. It's all about us being together and making a name for ourselves here upon the earth. And God judges that completely and he will judge it again. He will judge it a second time. But then we get another pair of characters out of that. Abraham, or Abraham, and Lot. So I want you to think about them as... Um, how am I going to put this? The life of faith done right, and the life of faith done wrong. Maybe that's a, that's a good way to think about it. Abraham, there are so many chapters now. It begins to expand. So with the other characters, you didn't have much. Abraham, you have chapters and chapters and chapters. Because in the life of faith, there's a lot of detail that is necessary. So in Abraham, you have the life of faith done right. And guess what? He stuffs up. He stuffs up several times. But the righteous man, he falls. And the seventh time, he gets up and he stands upon his feet. And that's true of Abraham. He failed multiple times, but he kept getting back up. God was restoring him. He went down to Egypt. God brought him back. But all the way through, he was faithful to God. He put God first. He desired only the things that God would give him. He wouldn't have anything from Sodom. He was separated from this world. He lived in a tent. He didn't want the things that this world values, the things that this world cares about. Is the life of faith done absolutely right? And in the end, we have, him, we have him declared to be righteous. We have him blessed. And we have him finally dying. But looking forward to that city in a future day that has foundations. That's a life of faith done right. Lot is the life of faith done wrong. Instead of God listening to God's call, he tags along with the other, the other person. He tags along, maybe today we think about it, tags along with the Christians, with mum and dad. Tags along with everybody who's coming to the, coming to the meeting. And when he looks at his, his friends or the people around him, he says, oh, I really want to just get a bit closer to the world. And he gets closer and he gets closer until he's right there in the world. You can't even tell the difference between him and anyone else in, in Sodom. But he was a believer. It was still the life of faith. We get that in the New Testament. His righteous soul was tormented day and night. So Abraham, the life of faith done right. Lot, the life of faith done wrong. And the result is uselessness. Um, Okay, so we have, we have those two. And then we have um, another, the next two that I've put together is Ishmael and Isaac. So I've put them as the flesh and the spirit. And I think we get that in the New Testament. Paul uses that as an example. 
Um, so Ishmael is the flesh. It's the Christian wanting to do the right thing by his own strength. Abraham says, or Sarah tells him, why don't you um, marry this Egyptian slave of mine and we can have children together and we're going to get the promise that God wants. We'll do it for God, Abraham, but let's do it our way. That's the flesh. It's trying to put things together to look good, to work well according to our own thinking in order to please God. It doesn't work. The contrast to it is Isaac. It's the spirit. It comes by promise. It comes by faith. It comes by believing. And it's the free gift of God. And it gives power and freedom and liberty. All right. Um, then, after that, we have an, a really interesting story about Isaac where... Do you remember he, his, his father is asked to take him and to, to kill him? Okay, and you can't get a better type of, of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus than that. The father and the son go together. The father has really got his hands there to, to slay the son. And we, in, in the true thing, he, he did. But in Abraham, he didn't. And there's this, the son brought out from among the dead. Resurrection. And so beautiful. Look at God's fingerprints all over this. Immediately, Abraham gets Isaac back. He goes to get a bride for his son. The Lord Jesus comes out from, from among the dead. He's raised. And immediately, the church is called. Uh, Rebecca is sought. The servant goes to, to seek her. The Holy Spirit goes to get a bride of the church for the Lord Jesus. And he goes and he gives her gifts and he equips her and he sets her side on Christ and he brings her back until the day when he comes out to get her. It's beautiful. It's, like, it's absolutely amazing. There are so many just wonderful types like this. Um, and then after she joins him, he becomes the heir of all things. He, and she, she is his joint heir. She's reigning with him. Abraham gives all things into his hands. And then finally we have two stories that fill out almost the entire second half of Genesis. I don't want to go into them in detail, but I'll name them. They are Jacob and they are they are Joseph. And I just want to... I'm not necessarily pairing those those two together, but those two together. But um, I'll just say that in Jacob, there's really the story, the entire story of Israel. There is a person or a nation called... There is a nation that is chosen by God for blessing, but it spends its entire life conniving, cunning, with lies, trying to, to build and establish itself on the earth, being tricked in return, being deceived by the nations. Abraham stayed in the promised land, but Israel didn't. They went out amongst the nations. And that's what Jacob did. He went out amongst the nations. He mixed with the world. But God watched over him. God protected him. God was careful that nothing <coughs> happened to that man that he wanted to bless until he, he brought him in and made him fruitful. And then the final one, Joseph, is just start to finish Christ. The most beautiful type of Christ that you are going to find in the scriptures. Um, Joseph, think about this. He comes amongst his brethren and he tells them, about how he is going to be exalted, how he is going to reign. And his brethren mock him. They laugh at him. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. They put him in a place of death and they get rid of him. Exactly the same thing. 
He goes into the place of death. He goes into the place of jail. He is falsely accused of what he didn't done. The Lord Jesus bore our sins on his body on the cross, sins that were not his own. And Joseph goes into jail for sins that he did not commit. But then what happens? That's not it. He is exalted. He is brought out from the lowest place and he is given the highest place. He reigns over everything with his Gentile bride, Asenath, is joined to him. It's just beautiful. It's type after type of, of, of the Lord Jesus. And it's just like you cannot read that and think that this is some guy in a cave several thousand years ago who wrote this. This is the Holy Spirit that has put all of these things together. Mm. Even the name of Joseph that Pharaoh gives him, that Pharaoh gives him, not God, Zaphnath Paniah. It means the revealer of secrets and the saviour of the world. That's the Lord Jesus. He's the revealer of secrets and he's the saviour of the world. And just finally, I just want to make one comment. The last two chapters of Genesis, if you've, if you've not looked at them, Jacob goes out ablaze. Jacob, I believe, in those prophecies that he gives at the end he is on a higher spiritual plane than any of the other characters up until until that point he is prophesying about the one who is to come he is prophesying the entire history of israel it's and it's it's deliverance it's restoration into the land it's blessing he is just on a whole new level the guy who was on the very lowest rung becomes on the very, very, very highest rung because he learnt what it was to set himself aside and to, to trust God. And that's, that's Genesis. So just a few thoughts. If you think about those pairs of characters, it will really help you to, to, to look into it. And, and, and there's so much more detail beyond that. Amen.